This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another season of Driven by Data, the podcast. Powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. We are delighted to bring you season four of Driven by Data, the podcast. And our aim remains exactly the same, to bring you some of the most respected and recognized thought leadership figures from the world of data analytics to share their knowledge, ideas, use cases, and insights across how they've tackled some of the industry's most trending topics and challenges. All that's left to say is sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season four. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Raul Gabriel Irma, who is the executive chairman at Cambridge Spark. So Raul, thank you very much for joining us today. Hey, thank you, Kyle. How are you doing? Very well. How are you? Yeah, good. I mean, I'm quite jealous from uh, the place you're calling from. It looks very glamorous. Uh, <laughs> I'm calling you from the cold uh, London office. Well, I'm, I'm sat in my, um, what I what I used to call a conservatory until one of our guests corrected me and said it's, an, in fact, an orangery because it has a roof on it. So there you go. Every day is a school day. Um, but look, delighted to have you with us. Uh, a real pleasure. Looking forward to this conversation. So where we always start, Raul, is by asking our guests to give themselves a, I guess, a brief introduction into their background and journey to date, if, uh, if you would. And I know that yours has been very interesting. So looking forward to unpacking it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Kyle. Um, well, look, let me tell you about myself. So I'm geek at heart. Um, I'm a, I'm a tech person. Um, my journey started as a kid. I love playing games. Have you ever played Age of Empire, Warcraft, or Civilization, Kyle? Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, those were the good days, right? In the nineties. <laughs> uh, so I got really, you know, hooked into those games. Uh, and then one day my, my dad gave me a book on the, on HTML and I started creating websites to, to teach, uh, kids how to play those games you know what's the right strategy and so on that's where my journey started really for technology and um and education and then sad story uh one day uh my website got hacked you know like like uh, i wake up and then suddenly it says i pwned you know it's like oh what happened uh and got me really interested in uh systems computer science how it works how did it happen you know so uh, that's that's how it all started and you know fast forward today I'm feeling quite privileged because I took my my interest for tech and education further. So I did a, a PhD in computer science at uh, the University of Cambridge, doing research on the compilers, uh, distributed systems. I've wrote a few books on software development in Java, uh, which is quite a, a popular programming language for for big enterprises. So that that was fun. Uh, and then look, I started uh, Cambridge Spark in 2016 with the mission to to help organization be successful uh, with their data and, and AI transformation today and how to help people have the right skills in, in the right place. Mm, interesting. And and obviously you spent a little bit of time at Google, which you've uh, you've very modestly brushed over. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, um, you know, I was living in California, working at the, the headquarter office in Mountain View. Uh, you know, what can I say? That, that was a glorious time. I was working the Python team 
doing research on the type system, helping developers write code is uh, more secure. Um, yeah, yeah, those were that's 2013. You know, that's like 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, well, but look, you you should be obviously proud of that. Having there's not many people that say they can say that they have worked at Google and got a PhD from the University of Cambridge. So uh, congratulations on on that. Um, Let's jump into it then. So tell us a little bit about Cambridge Spark, who you are, what you do, who you help, etc. Yeah, great. Look, um, you know, I'm sure you'll agree. Everyone talks about data, AI, disruption, transformation. Uh, it feels like every year there's new new technologies on the market, right? And uh, CDOs and CIOs are having to figure out how can they adopt it. Uh, so I feel like the pace of technology transformation keeps getting uh, faster and bigger, actually. And somehow people in organization have to keep up, right? Somehow, uh, and it's it's hard, right? Like um, learning the right skills, knowing what to do with it, aligns with business goals is super difficult. Uh, so Cambridge Spark, our mission is to, to help both organizations uh, and people be successful in, in this kind of like landscape where technology keeps on changing, specifically within data and AI. So we support businesses with upskilling programs, help their workforce have the skills they need to deliver business objectives, or even reskilling program. So somebody that starts a whole new career as a data analyst, a data scientist, a machine learning engineer, or a product manager, you know, those kind of jobs are in high demand, hard to find, especially domain expertise. Uh, we help organization uh, run early careers program, you know, to attract the the kind of fresh talent, you know, and make sure they've got a knowledge of the tech stack and the business uh, problems that uh, those organizations have. So I'd say it's super exciting. Um, it's kind of weird. And I'm sure you'll agree, Kai, you know, there's so much buzz in the industry around AI, data. What can we do with all of that? How can we enable our workforce to have the right skills? So it's super exciting for Cambridge Spark and I uh, feel really privileged really to be part of that excitement. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, look, there's there's been a lot of buzz around the industry for many years, right? Um, especially in the, the talent space of of the industry. But I think um, one thing is for sure is that we need we need more organisations like yours that are helping organisations to uh, upskill and develop people, because obviously that's why you know, in all candidness, businesses like ours exist, right? You know, we work at the yeah. the mid to senior end of the market because that's what everyone is is kind of navigating towards, but obviously the future of the industry only looks brighter by getting more talent to meet the demand of the industry into the kind of the top of the funnel, so to speak, right? So it's a, a really important moment in time that we make sure that we, you know, choose all the avenues wisely to to do that for sure. So um, I guess one thing that I always ask them, Raul, especially to people that have started a business probably more so out of curiosity than than anything else but what, what was i guess what was the the catalyst what was the, the the kind of moment in time where you thought right i'm gonna launch a business that does this and what was the what was the reason for that was there something that happened that instigated you know that that business to be born yeah it's a really good question um and look i'm an honest guy i'll i'll give you the honest answer you know i'd love to tell you you know, I woke up one day, I saw this like amazing opportunity on the market and had a perfect solution. And, you know, there you go, a successful business, right? But that, it's not the case. The truth is, um, 
you know, always been passionate about education, right? Since an early age, always passionate about tech, you know, I've been coding since a young age. Um, during my PhD, I was tutoring, I was lecturing students. Um, I found a lot of satisfaction through writing um, a book, right? So um, I think the moment was like, let's do something about it is, you know, as a PhD student, I would have to mark uh, student uh, homework, right? So that's back in 2011, 2015. So, you know, I'd have to mark the Python assignments for the undergrads, the, the Java assignments. You know, I'd have to walk in the corridor, find the printer, print like 60 pages of code for, you know, all the 60 students print the code, you know, and the printer wouldn't work. You know how it was, right? And like, God damn, you know, I've got to figure that stuff out. Finally, I get to print it, you know, and then like one by one, go through everything, find errors, give feedback. And look, it... It sucked, right? Because it's super time-consuming from me. It's not really enjoyable. Uh, for the students, it sucked too because they had to wait for, you know, when I've got the time to do it. And then the student would find out, hey, Raul, like, you've missed something here. Your feedback doesn't quite make sense. Um, and, you know, that's the moment where I thought we can do better when it comes to a personalized education, at least in tech. You know, you want to be learning by doing. So writing code and so this problem is good. But you kind of don't want to wait and you don't want to get like, you know, feedback that it's not particularly helpful for your development. Um, so long story short, uh, that realization, hey, let's do something about it. And it just happens I was doing research on code analysis, so how to automate feedback for quality and performance reasons. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if we take this sort of related work that is quite common in soft engineering, right? Automated code analysis, quality metrics, but repurpose that for pedagogical reasons and education. So that's where it started, right? So I kind of like, hey, I want to build this tool that offers students instant feedback and support on sort of real projects, a bit like your flight simulator before you go and, and you fly. Um, it's been much later that I realized, hey, you know, and I think every tech person, entrepreneur makes that mistake at some point. You get really passionate about your product, your technology, but you kind of like miss about what's the real problem, you know, what's what should people care? And then, you know, actually what people care is have the right skills to be employable. What organization cares, they've got the right talent to deliver on their business objectives, right? So Cambridge Spark was born out of, you know, this sort of, I want you to visualize a three-way Venn diagram here, you know, like we can make education better in tech. You know, people need the skills to be more employable and organizations actually need talent to deliver on the objectives. Cambridge Spark was born organically, actually, out of uh, those three those three forces. Um, and, you know, the business grew organically through through our learners, through our clients, you know, to, to where it is today. So, Kyle, again, I wish I could tell you this kind of like, you know, I went on Dragon's Den and I pitched an idea and, you know, but that wasn't the case. You know, I just literally followed uh, my passion, honestly. Nice, nice. And just give us a, a bird's eye view of the business, kind of how many people do you employ, kind of that type of stuff. Yeah, so today we over 160 people uh, at Cambridge Spark, which is phenomenal, really, really crazy. You know, in the start of 2020, we were 15 people. So it's, you know, we've been through rapid growth, which kind of like really shows the demand, I think, in the in the industry. 
uh, the need for uh, skills in data and AI, the need for expertise, the need for talent. Um, we work with you know hundreds of organizations, you know from Fortune 500, uh, FTSE 100 listed companies to over 60 NHS trusts uh, in in UK. It's been a fascinating journey, and and Kyle, we're just getting started, right? <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. No, really, really interesting. So if we delve into the, I guess, the the concept of the importance of people within our industry, right? Because I think all of the research houses, you know, the big credible Gartners and and of the like, every year they publish a report, practically every year without fail, it comes back as one of the biggest reasons that most data and AI initiatives, you know, don't add the value they were expected to add is because of things like culture, literacy, adoption, um, yep. in the right skills, you know, that's always top of the list for the CDO type of surveys, right? Talent being the, one of the biggest challenges, um, yep. et cetera, et cetera. So all of that stuff, I guess, revolves around people and the need to have the right people in the right seat at the right time to deliver on those business objectives, as you said. But yep. obviously, there's also a, a kind of thing that runs parallel about needing to train, teach, educate, coach, whatever the case may be, those the right people with the right backgrounds and skill sets within our organization. Yeah. It's something we know, but it's something that still is a massive struggle, I guess, from your perspective of working with organizations and some very, very sizable organizations on these challenges. Like why why do you think that yep. is such a challenge for the data analytics industry to to get right? Yeah, it's a great uh question and um you know we can tackle it on on so many parts and it's one of those the whole is great and some of the parts and this color of parts to go through right like you've mentioned culture and and so i, I think that's a one there's probably a lot of hype in, in the industry right you know maybe a bit too much like the expectations are a little really high around you know the expectation of what data and ai can do for the organization and you know at, you know at the executive level maybe even board level Let's be honest, um, not everyone knows what technology can do or should do. So the expectations, I think, are set really high for a CDO and a CIO. You know, can you please, like, magically, you know, improve the PNL? Because, of course, generative AI, you know, leads to so much productive benefits today, right? <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, you know, if you start with that, I think there's a lot of hype, which creates high expectation. And then if you don't meet those expectations, suddenly you have a problem. Right, so I think we should maybe start with um, it probably needs to be more around education of commercial use cases and impact uh, for business leaders, um, and then you know CDOs and CIOs support those, those those business use cases, right? Technology as a uh, a profit center, like like we all want to think about, right? And cost center, but I think there's Lots of education is still needs to be done at the leadership and exec around managing expectations, right? Now, let's just assume a world where we agree what the expectations are, you know, we can deliver some real ROI. Then who's going to do it, right? Who's going to do it and what is it that you need? So, you know, um, or you need the, the right infrastructure, the right people, the right process, you know, the right alignment with your business objectives. So there's so many dependencies to think about. Uh, there's... Focus on the people side, but I generally believe that all the parts is kind of like working in tandem to uh, deliver impact, and I think that's what makes life so difficult. Uh, perhaps for a CDO, or a CIO, even a CTO, depending where you are, right? 
Um, so at the end of the day, let's not even think about people in an organization like who buys the services of an organization. It's people, right? So your customer, your users are going to be people. And it happens that uh, guess who develops and support the services and products? It's also people. So, you know, it's always about the people, right, Kyle, right? So now you want to have the right people and, and write, you know, I think we can define that, but, you know, understand the the, the domain, the, the business context, the, the why, why are you working here? What's the impact of your work? So that drives into culture, attitude, and then skills. And what makes it particularly difficult, I think, in our, in our industry is that there's such a high demand for those skills that people have options, right? You can take a new job somewhere else if you've got a skill. So suddenly retention becomes a, a priority for a CDO and, of course, for, for the HR team. So you need to address the question of how can I provide uh, retention initiatives in the company? So through internal culture or through professional development, right? Like uh, lots of studies shows that if you invest in your workforce, you provide them opportunity to learn and educate themselves, they're going to stay because they're always learning and that drives happiness, right? Um, so that's on the retention. Now, also, especially now, you know, let, let's just map it out. Generative AI, everyone talks about LLMs. Everyone talks about an immediate use case is customer service. Okay, that sounds great, but who in the organization knows how to do this and can pick up this new tech and, and do it? Well, if the technology is new, nobody, right? Um, so you're going to have to invest in the people so they can actually acquire that skill set, or you're going to have to hire new people in, right? And usually you combine both, right? Like depends on your how much time you've got, right? And how much uh, you're willing to pay, right? Uh, at least what we're finding out is uh, investing in education. And of course, I'd say that, right? It is my business. So of course, I would say that. But investing in education actually supports retention uh, of your staff, you know, if they commit to, let's say, an apprenticeship program. But also, it makes your people more valuable because they've got skills that, that you need and those skills deliver projects that you want to deliver on. So it's kind of like a win-win for everybody, right? Yeah, that, that's my perspective, Kyle. Hopefully, I've kind of provided uh, some sort of answer to your question. Yeah, 100%. I think, um, I think broadly speaking, most industries are similar in that if the opportunity presents itself to um, grow your own talent, you know, however you want to coin that, then obviously the, the benefits over the long term are significantly greater, right, than just going hiring someone who can do the job right now because – fundamentally you're straight into a market as you said that's very competitive they especially for things like engineers as an example you know there's probably more jobs in demand than there are people who can already operate at that level who can already do the job most of these organizations are trying to hire multiple of those people at any one time which makes the competition in demand even greater so you know straight away you're into a well how much can you pay what do you need to, to to do? I guess one thing that I see, and I'd be keen to get your thoughts on, is that I think the role of the the CDO and the whole problem with you know tenure in quotation marks um, actually often fuels this type of behaviour where they feel that they have to go and buy skills that can you know hear it all the time, right? Hit the ground running because if someone's 
fearful that they're only going to last 18 to 24 months, right? Based on which research you you, you kind of listen to, then often they don't feel like they've got the, the, the luxury of time to run things like apprenticeship programs or run skills academies where, you know, they're going to take on graduates because there's a, there's a time constraint involved with how long it takes those people to start adding value, right? In quotation marks. So um, I don't know whether that plays a part in, you know, this conversation or, or, or not, but I, I find it very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you, you definitely onto something, right? I think the, the job of a, a CDO you stuff and you know any exec um you know you you expected to deliver ROI to the organization within a period of time right any exec is expensive let's let's be honest right whatever the, the comp structure looks like is expensive so you kind of like you got to you got to deliver something here right and uh we better not wait 5 years right <laughs> so yeah i think you know, typically on the cycle, you're looking at 12, 18 months and you do a review of, you know, we invest all those resources, what are we getting out of it? That makes sense, right? And of course, when you have that pressure, unfortunately, especially if you're new, you're going to take a shortcut, right? You're going to try and like focus on what gives you a quick return with the hope that on the back of that, we can build a longer strategy and get buying a strategy because we've demonstrated the value, you know? And, uh, you know, it depends on organization. I have to say, you know, those organizations are a bit further in the journey. I think now there's a bit more comfort around actually, you know, we can look at a three, five-year view is a strategic investment. This is how the, the CD office can work with, you know, other lines of business. And that's great. And organizations are maybe a bit behind, you know, they expect more quickly and that's that's harder. So I, I really echo what you said, Kyle, the incentive to invest in people suddenly is, is harder. Um, but I think this is where having a strong um, HR partner, you know, a strong HR business partner is really helpful. That has really the the ear of, of the CEO comes to, to play because, you know, you've got to deliver your, your business objective, you know, tangible metrics. But there's also people metrics uh, that, you know, the HR department, you know, is to look after and the CEO cares about, right? Because that goes back to reputation of the organization, that goes back to talent pipeline and so on. From my experience, I can't see, you know, any exec needs to work really closely with their, you know, HR business partner uh, counterpart, right? And this is typically where, you know, CEO can set a mandate, I need those people, the skills, and, you know, HR can like support and make sure it actually happens so that, you know, a CDO can focus on delivering what they're good at, right? Kind of like the data strategy. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, I definitely think there's something in there about managing expectations, right? Because I think all this kind of starts mm -hmm. to intertwine somewhat, right? In that there are many CDOs I've spoken to, even on this podcast, right? It will profess that, you know, they, they walked into an environment where, they they the ceo or the exec team thought it was just a case of doing a bit of work and you know almost like a turning on a light switch and there was going to be a ton of value yeah. just you know pound coins falling from the sky type of thing right and obviously we know it's a much longer term play and it's a it's a much you know longer investment that's required to do things the right way and it and it does take time so i think it's about getting the balance right between having the skills right there and then that can start to 
demonstrate the value and quick wins and all of that type of stuff that we hear and but simultaneously be building for the future i think that's um that's that's yeah. really, that's really important talk us through i know you obviously work with some huge businesses and there's some you know leaders that we've had on this um podcast and you know many of them are part of our community who who you've worked with just kind of give us a bit of, of a flavor of the types of things you do for those organizations and how i guess how how that work manifests itself in their data analytics journey just a quick one i'm interrupting today's episode to let you know about our tact assessment our tact assessment was designed and created to allow you to benchmark yourself against other organizations in your effectiveness in hiring data and analytics talent in today's market effectively we cover three key areas the internal perception of data analytics with inside your organization the external perception of your data analytics brand in the current talent landscape. And the third component is your organization's operational effectiveness, which covers things like time to hire, the recruitment process itself, um, remuneration, location, uh, etc., etc. Them three components are effectively what allow you to understand how effective you can be in attracting and retaining the best data and analytics talent. And the best part, we do all of that for free and put it in a nice shiny brochure for you. I don't want to bore you with the details, so if you're interested in learning more, navigate yourself towards www.obitiongroup.com forward slash talent hyphen advisory. Yeah, um, and, and thank you. Yeah, we, we work some uh, amazing clients and if anyone's listening, really grateful grateful to you uh, and we love supporting your journey but you know one example we work with mark and spencer super exciting company right uh, digital is the way forward uh really acknowledged you know right from the board level that uh with data we can operate better as an organization and you know better support your customers uh with their needs operate more efficiently and so on so Mark and Spencer, really exciting organization in a retail space, right? So not known as a tech employer, really, right? If we compare to the likes of like Google, like like you said earlier. So you kind of have to compete, sort of same talent, but you know, you need to bring an edge here, right? So Mark and Spencer is investing in uh professional development big time, like big, big, big time. Anything from uh running internal campaigns through the Beam Academy. By the way, I recommend everyone to check out, you know, like internal webinars, lunch and learn, panel discussion, you know, demystifying AI, data driven. What does it mean? What does it mean to be data literate? What's the latest cooler tool that, you know, you should think about, uh, about learning? Uh, so they run that all the way, you know, with Cambridge Spark, specifically uh, uh, professional development apprenticeships, right? So those are kind of like uh, upskilling programs six hours a week or so uh, over 15 months that upskill someone to become a data analyst to so learn python sql you know work with database system a bit of statistics you know so you can kind of like really contribute to any lines of business right whether it's the marketing team whether it's kind of like the inventory team and so on um they also run a, a an ai apprenticeship uh, with us right so how can we support data analysts or software engineers to build uh, machine learning solutions, right? So, for example, customer segmentations. You've got a loyalty program. How is it looking like? Can we create more personalized rewards? And actually, through this work, you know, there's several 
millions of top line that can be created. Um, so that's one example. So that's kind of like on the apprenticeship side, like an amazing example of this year, uh, you know, Lloyd's Banking Group, uh, such an exciting employer, big fan, big fan of the, the CDO, who I know you know very well, Kaya. And, you know, they, they're really investing in the early careers program. You know, I think they're, they're realizing the future of, of Lloyd's Banking Group is it's the people, the young talent that comes in. So we supported them in, in creating a, a two-month data science graduate bootcamp. So taking, you know, young grads from, from university colleges and uh, learn the Lloyd's Banking Group stack, the data science stack, right? Like learn uh, Python, learn SQL, learn the specific infrastructure that they have to deploy machine learning models in, in production. And what that's created is one, it's a really compelling uh, offer for anyone that wants to join, right? It's like, fantastic. Here's an employer that invests in my training that is dedicated to my you know, professional development. So that gives you the edge. But not only that, the, the time to ROI, you know, those new grads come in and they're ready to hit the ground. Within two months, they've been baked into the Lloyd's environment, working the, the, the solution, the teams, the project. You know, we've issued a survey and all of them said like those skills I can apply it immediately next day in the team I'm working on. So that's amazing, right? That requires an investment, but, you know, you get the ROI and you get the employer brand. So uh, a big kudos to the Lloyds Banking Group for, for this initiative. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think the the, the benefit over the, the longer term is that f- the scalability of that model, right? You know, if you, if you do a, a data science program, you know, you can have X amount of people enter that, that you can then retain as staff and all right, they may not be as capable as someone that's got 10 years experience, but you're never going to be able to hire that many experienced people and it's going to cost you a lot more money right um and take you a lot longer to do because of how in demand these skill sets are as an example so i mean it makes it makes perfect sense what do you think then and this is just me thinking out out loud role but what do you think prevents organizations from going down this route because obviously it seems like an absolute no-brainer, right? It seems like the most logical thing in the world to sure. invest in this thing early on. But obviously, there there must be some blockers that you see when you're speaking with organizations that for, for one reason or another might not think it's right for them. Yeah, absolutely, Karin. Always boils down to, you know, in investment, right? You know, sad but true, right? PNL matters, right? And then, <laughs> you know, I know. Wouldn't life be easy if we don't have to worry about PLs, right? But you know, it boils down to, you know, any sort of a talent program, whether it's um, attraction, hiring, development, is a cost, right? So if you're not, you know, and uh I need to be careful with my words, but you know, I think educated leaders really understand how talent delivers profit ultimately, right? Maybe more traditional leaders, for better words, you know, it's a cost center, you know, can we do without it? We've got people, whatever, I've got to deliver this, you know, short-term thinking, right? So so I think uh, probably a bit more education, especially in tech, needs to happen around, you know, people as the engine to success. Uh, I'd start with there. And then, uh, you know, every business will have uh, challenges in terms of growth, in terms of investment. So you got to have to think through, right? So it, it can be a blocker. Uh, if you got to cut cost, 
usually what goes, you know, it's somewhere in the, the people department, right? Um, so that, and early careers tend to um, take your head as well, actually, right? Now, what I'm finding out, and this is specific in England, is um, not many organizations uh, understand that levy, the apprenticeship levy funding, is readily available for training your existing staff. Uh, I think a lot of uh, executives that are not HR see it as I'm going to, have to create a new budget for this. You know, like I'm going to, have to make the case for I need you know several millions and whatnot to train the organization. Uh, but it's not the case in England. Uh, levy is a tax that organization pay and that can be utilized for upskilling or reskilling your workforce. It's not for everyone. There's lots of conditions and requirements, you know, but I think that's a place that, uh, you know, I think uh, Organization UK could be better educated about the approach they have in front of them because it makes conversation a bit easier. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's really interesting. Yeah, I think, you know, I think, I think you're right. I think it, it always fascinates me being in this industry for you know the tw- the last 12 13 years you always get you know the age-old cliche of you know people are our biggest asset and all of that type of stuff and then it's you know you you work with certain organizations and um that evidently couldn't be further from the truth right? <laughs> just in terms of how they approach it the fact that they have no strategy around it the fact that when push comes to shove it's the people that are the first thing often to to go um which is mm. is really is really interesting do you think that the i guess the perception around the lack of value creation through data analytics and because it, it is in many organizations has been more of a cost than it has been a value generator do you think that kind of becomes a bit of a blocker for investment at the grassroots level yeah um uh, <laughs> and uh i mean let, let's keep it simple yes but let me elaborate on that i think there's two two issues one one which is uh agnostic to data analytics generally education um you know education is learning is fun right like uh you know i, I love listening to podcasts you're my favorite podcast kyle of course right <laughs> so you learn a lot through this conversation right um so i think it's a bit of work that needs to happen around education to deliver on business objective, right? Education of ROI, learning for earning, not learning for playing, right? Uh, so I think that applies to any any sector, right? Not just data analytics, right? So any course you take, how can we make that more practical and aligned to business objectives? So, um, and of course, you know, ChemSpark, we have a ways of doing that, right? But then on data analytics, hey, like, you know, I'm part of several networks, business owners uh family businesses you know with thousands of employees and so on from all over the world and every time i speak about data and ai you know it's never like oh that's gonna help me with you know revenue that's gonna help me with like you know because even she's oh like you know i just see my kpis you know summarized so i think you know and of course there's different maturity in thinking uh, anywhere you go but it's definitely true that business leaders today still need education around how can uh, a sound data strategy deliver on your on your outcomes uh l risk and so on uh so anything i think we need more training <laughs> you know slt c-suite like this is what could be done and it's the job of the cdo to do that at the end of the day if you have a job you have to, to sell yourself all the time right so you kind of have to sell like this is the potential so 
Um, so that's as a profit, I think this not of education. And today, yeah, it's a cost cost center, you might think, right? Because you need the data infrastructure, you've got some cloud spending, uh, you, you need people to kind of like process, clean, summarize the data. This is all cost, 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 right? It's like, at what point does that link back to uh, we can sell more, we can do marketing more effectively, we can hire better, we can operate more efficiently. You know, you got to link that. And, uh, you know, I still believe it's the CDO's job to do that and educate. That That's your role, right? You got to deliver business impact at the end of the day. So you have to educate the leaders, uh, maybe the, the LOB and the business functions and so on. But, you know, they do benefit from further education so that as a team, you know, everyone is doing better, right? At the end of the day, that's what we all want, right? It's like, uh, be successful. Uh, so I agree with you, uh, Kyle, uh, and it's tough, especially, you know, if you're in a business position, typically you don't get excited about tech, maybe kind of tech is for geeks, you know, it's kind of like, <laughs> tell me about revenue, right? Like, tell me about products, tell me about customers and kind of like, you know, forget about it. So hopefully, you know, through the community, through your work and through the help of the, the CDO community, you know, we can support and educate um, about this problem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously the whole premise of this episode of the podcast is about education. And I think, um, you know, mm. very, very rightly said, I think there's still a lot of education that needs to happen within, you know, boardrooms and, and exec levels for them to truly understand what we're talking about here, but equally, and that for me absolutely is the job of the, the CDO or whoever is the most senior data leader within that. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, and you might, uh, you know, you might give me a, you, you might shoot me for this, but hey, uh, I think CDOs needs to take more credit, you know, but what they do, you know, as an example, right, through, through customer segmentation, improve the loyalty programs that drives revenue, you could easily see how, you know, marketing, we kind of like, well, it was the idea, we did it, right? The data analytics part of it was just a component, right? So, you know, I actually think uh, the data office is to maybe put more work into marketing themselves and taking credit of their work really so that it raises awareness and visibility of the impact. I think it's probably not enough done around raising awareness and visibility, um, I would say. I, I absolutely agree. And I think there's almost probably a, an, a, an educational piece around allowing them to do that because, as you say, most you know, totally. if people have come from a traditional data analytic background, that's probably they've not they've not grown up in those environments where a they've been accountable for doing that or they've had to do that. So the fact that they've got to you know almost translate their work into well, this is how it impacts the top or bottom line or mitigate risk or improves customer experience or whatever the case may be. That's they've never really had to do that. So I think there's almost an education piece in this is you know you need to adapt the way you communicate to to get that buy in but also yes yeah, stand up and be counted for yeah. i think i think there's definitely a lot to be said that you know data analytics team definitely do need to get better at marketing and selling themselves which unfortunately you know not many people in the data analytics space like to hear but i think that's just the reality of the the situation yeah i agree with you totally um it's conscious of time, but a few things that I want to kind of yeah. finish on. I guess when you enter an organization, then obviously there's different services and solutions that you offer, right? From apprenticeships to, you know, the, the boot camps um, or bespoke training. And you've talked about kind of career changes and switches and stuff like that. I guess, how do you help the organization navigate which route is best 
for them? Like, is there any kind of high level advice you can give to our listeners around, you know, if you, you know, if, if this is your situation, then you might want to think about this or, you know, is there any, any situation that comes across more, you know, specific than others? Yeah, great question. Thanks for asking, right? So it always starts with uh, what's the driver for the business, you know, so it might be like technology adoption, you know, you've got your new cloud vendor and services and so on. So, you you know, you you need skills to drive that technology adoption. It might be uh, hiring pipeline to deliver on projects that are coming up, you know, next quarter or or next year as per your growth strategy, right? So you kind of like, you start with what are the top level corporate objectives and then there's different uh, learning initiatives, depending on what, is what you want to do, right? So, for example, um, yeah, I'd put them in um, three three buckets, right? So you've got corporate training. So that's kind of like courses to help your team have skills, you know, for next week or next month, right? So maybe you have a project. SQL is a really important part of that. Maybe Postgres SQL. You know, you need to be trained up to be able to interact with database. Or maybe you've got this new fancy, you know, NoSQL graph database like Neo4j that, you know, is to be utilized by the product. So, you, you know, if you don't have a scale, you're going to have to learn it, right? So there's short interventions like that. So that's kind of like corporate training, couple of day courses. That's one kind of data literacy here could come in as well. You want to support your workforce uh, to, to elevate their knowledge and skills. How can they interact? internally with metrics, with storytelling. So I'd say those are kind of like intervention base to, you know, ensure that everyone levels up. Then you've got apprenticeships, which is more around the longer term pipeline. We have existing staff that can be upskilled or reskilled. And, you know, after a year, they are in the new job role. And along that journey, they demonstrate the array of the skills. So they apply the skill on work-based project, but that helps to fill internal headcounts. Um, or just ensure that, you know, what a workforce has sort of solid baseline of practical skills. So apprenticeships are really good for that uh, in England. And you can also hire new people with an apprenticeship scheme. So it, it works both ways, existing and uh, new. And um, lastly, uh, boot camps, you know, like we did with Lowe's Banking Group, uh, two months graduate boot camps. That's when... People have the time, you know, it's not for everybody to like, hey, here's two months, you know, just learn, right? That's the solid commitment. Uh, so boot camps, I think, are typically more effective when you're happy to wait two or three months and it's super intensive, but after that, you're ready to go, right? Whereas the other solutions, like apprenticeships, you, you don't expect them to be ready to go within two months, actually. It's kind of like after a year. Um, so, you know, it's a balance of short-term, long-term you know, needs, when do you need the skills and to do what? You know, that's where you'd, you'd have different types of solutions. Yeah. Okay. That makes perfect sense. I like the way you uh, you kind of broken that that down across the the short, medium, and, and long term. That's um, really interesting. What, what what about the kind of career changes? There's a lot of debate in the industry at the moment, right? I mean, I was on the phone today with um, a a friend of of mine who works in the industry who his wife wants to pivot into a data analytics career, you know, was a yeah. an architect by trade, not a, not a tech architect, an actual building architect um, who, you know, so she, she wants to pivot into the industry. Um, and I guess rightly or wrongly, there seems to be, you know, this perception that people that are trying to change careers at 40, 50 year old, like that, you know, it's almost frowned upon a little bit. Do, do you, I guess, what's your, what's your 
what's your opinion on that? And do you see, you know, organizations successfully taking people and, you know, upskilling them that come from other backgrounds and, you know, um, them having an impact? Yeah, yeah, fascinating. And uh, I like to think about it now as like changing, no one likes change, you know, it's kind of like, uh, I like to think about it as augmenting careers, right? Like, um, especially when you have domain expertise and suddenly you introduce the world of data analytics, that's such a powerful combination because you truly understand the, the business problem or your organization problem and you can kind of like build solutions. So just an example that comes to mind and, you know, there's loads on the, on the, on the website case studies and many others on the internet, of course, but like, you know, uh, we were with the NHS, you know, 60 over 60 trust, you know, a nurse reskilling to become a data analyst and um, as an apprentice, right? And it happens that through analysis, uh, they found out that actually they could cut uh, CO2 emissions involved with patients coming to the hospital because categories of the issues that patient had could be sorted through a video call, right? So instead of like coming to hospital to get diagnosed and we tell you what's going on, you know, with a bit of data collection and prediction, hey, actually this will be sorted through video call. So, you know, everybody's happier, right? You don't have to travel. Um, so less of your time, uh, it's better for the environment, it's better for the resource of the, of the hospital, right? Um, this is only possible when you have some domain expertise, right? You understand like, categories that patients go through what can be done virtually or in person you have access to the data you know where to find it you know where to check it you know so here's just an example of a nurse reskilling to be a data analyst that drives really impact not just for the organization but actually for the environment right and you could like scale this to many many trusts and then you know you get a, a big number at, at the end of it so uh i'm generally look, let me think another way can you think of any profession that you know doesn't touch data one way or another? I had a hard time doing that, right? Um, so it might not be a full reskilling where you know you're just gonna work on data every single day, but definitely increasing your data acumen and linking this back to your domain expertise, you know, that makes you special, right? Mm. Um so that's where I come come from. Yeah, yeah, really. Really interesting. Um, well, Raul, look, thank you so much for your time and coming on the show. It's yeah. been a pleasure having you. And um, yeah, wish you all the very best of success in the future with the the business and um, yeah, continue the great work. Uh, thank you, I really appreciate it. And uh, keep up the, the good work. I'm a big fan. Thank you. Cheers, buddy. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like, and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.